0: Genuine healing is not understood. It is felt. My name is Andrea and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to adult child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Hello, shit show nation. How the hell are you doing this fine Wednesday or whatever day you're listening to this? Uh, Y'all are in for a goodie today. Today, we are diving deep into inherited trauma with Blair O'Hara. He is a counselor. He is a psychotherapist. He is a Reiki healer who specializes in inherited generational trauma. So he studied underneath Mark Wolin, who is basically the inherited trauma guru. I had him on the pod. It was episode 16. Highly recommend that you go take a listen to that one after this episode if you have not. So Blair, in addition to sharing his professional experience, his tips, his tools, he will also be sharing his own raw and vulnerable journey, which as you know, is a requirement around here. So he discovered that he was suffering from generational trauma in his thirties and it surfaced psychosomatically. And it was a few years before he figured out what the hell was going on with him. So you will be hearing all about that. And it, this is really a, a fascinating conversation. So in preparation for this episode, so I am currently at my parents' house in Florida. So I was going through the closet that has all the old photo books and um, mementos. I don't know if that's the right word. Mem- I- memorabilia is not the right word. Um, antidotes, I don't think that's the right word either. I'll go with mementos of, you know, from grandparents and just all the old pictures, just seeing what I could find in there. You know, is there any um generational trauma clues in there? Well, I did not find... Any generational trauma clues. I did, however, find some of my old report cards, and boy, was this interesting. So I found first and second grade report cards. Now, first grade, nothing of note. Um, Andrea is a good student. Here I am again talking to the third person, but nothing of note in my, in my, um, first grade report cards. Second grade is a different story. So, second grade was the year that I found out that my mom was an alcoholic. So first I'm gonna read you, this is the, um, this is the mid-year. So this was Ju- January, January, 1997. My teacher's name was um, Mrs. Weisite, who actually, she was Australian, which is interesting because as you'll hear, Blair is Australian. Okay, so she goes through the uh, all the academic stuff, and I'm doing well, and so this is the final paragraph. Socially, this year has had its ups and downs. Because Andrea is tall and sometimes speaks and behaves in a way which belies her age and second grade status, it is easy to expect too much of her. The problems at the beginning of the year were not atypical of this grade, and Andrea has made real effort to solve them. She appears to understand herself quite well, that is, to have good interpersonal skills, which help enormously when she or anyone is dealing with interpersonal situations. We will continue as a class to work on social skills, friendship issues, and inclusivity in the school family. And I am sure we will see Andrea grow in this area because she shows a real desire to do so. Well, <laughs> let's go to the end of the year one. It doesn't sound like Andrea um, Andrea was growing too much. So now this is June 1997. Unfortunately, it has been a difficult year for Andrea socially. While Andrea has a lot to offer a friend, she appears to enjoy controlling friendships and has almost an adult way of expressing herself at time with her peers. Sarcasm and bossiness tend to be alienating, and Andrea is prone to exhibiting both. Because Andrea is so motivated It might be that she is creating stress for herself, and this is leading her to inappropriate behaviors with other children. Perhaps, too, each incident lessens her self-confidence in the social arena and leads to further missteps. I have given a lot of thought to this problem, and I would like to recommend that Andrea talk to someone like Dan O'Neill of Clearings over the summer and into the new school year. Andrea may need some strategies with which she could initiate or deepen friendships as well as some understanding of her own behavior. It might also help her to get some assistance in dealing with her height, which is a difference for a a child her age. And considering her outburst to me the other day about being considered a bully because she is tall, it may be that this is causing her some distress. I would like to see Andrea more comfortable socially and able to blossom even more academically. (sighs) This is really trip for me to read that. Um, as I've shared before, and if you guys don't know, I was really fucking tall. (laughs) Like I have back in San Francisco, I actually have my class picture from the second grade and I was as tall as this teacher was in the second grade. But so yeah, a few thoughts. So I've shared before that, um, you know, when I found out that my mom was an alcoholic, that it felt like I went to bed that night and I woke up the next morning feeling as if I had skipped like several stages of development and became an adult. And so I think that that's really interesting and how both of them, she refers to me um, acting like an adult and treating my peers in an adult like manner. So I thought that that was absolutely fascinating. I thought it was fascinating that she talked about um, being controlling because clearly I felt so out of control at home. So, this is kind of like the first first incident of me kind of sounding the alarm bells that something was going on at home. Um, you know, she, she mentions in there seeing someone named Dan O'Neill at Clearings. I'm assuming that must be like a child psychologist. Um, I did not see anybody. I didn't go see a therapist until two years later with the separation anxiety stuff. But yeah, so I read this to my mom um, and she did not really provide any insight or clarity on, on anything. I don't, I remember not liking this teacher. I don't really remember this year being um, a tough year for me socially. I thought that that was interesting that I had an outburst at her. <laughs> what did she say? That I, um, and now uh, considering her outburst to me the other day about being considered a bully because she is tall. I'm not quite sure if I'm not quite sure what she means by that. If I was saying that she was telling me that I was a bully and I was telling her, you just think I'm a bully because I'm tall. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so this is kind of like the sign, this is me kind of first showing some signs of distress, right? That there's traumatic shit going on at home. And then it would be the following year that I would start with the separation anxiety stuff. I believe it was in the third grade was when I woke up in the middle of the night um, in a total panic. And then that started the cycle of me sleeping in my mom's bed every night. And then I don't think it was until the following year. Fourth grade was when I finally went to a therapist for the first time. But as I've said before, when I asked my mom years later, um, did you tell the therapist that you were an alcoholic And that um, you and dad fought all the time. And her response was, no, it did not seem relevant. And so eventually, I was able to start sleeping in my own bed. And sixth grade is when I finally slept over at somebody else's house for the first time. So, But what was happening in the home wasn't getting any better as far as my mom's alcoholism and my parents' relationship. And so it was like I had to keep upping the ante, right? So then I started acting out through drugs and alcohol to deal with my pain and also, I think that it was an attempt to, to fix my family, as I've shared before, you know, when I started drinking and using drugs, my mom stopped drinking as much and my parents stopped fighting because they had to come together as a force to deal with me. Um, so all this is just really interesting. It's also very good timing as well, because about a month ago during a, a therapy session, so I I've had a hard time getting on board with a lot of the inner child stuff and um, it feels very awkward and foreign to me and i know that there's a lot more healing to be done there and so we were doing this sort of reparenting exercise with my therapist where we were imagining as if my my inner child i think it was i think it was my 8 or 9 year old self was sitting in the room and we were kind of talking to her and it was so awkward and uncomfortable for me and just felt so unnatural And the whole time I was just like saying, like, this is really weird for me. Like, this is really uncomfortable for me. And so then our next session, and this was before I found these report cards, but the next session we were talking about this and how it felt uncomfortable for me and how it's difficult for me to kind of tap into that inner child. And the thing that I said to her specifically was that I feel like it's hard for me to tap into the little girl back then because I didn't feel like a little girl. I felt like an adult. And just to see this reflected in um, in these report cards in, in the second grade with this teacher who had no idea what was actually going on in the home is just, um, I guess, a little bit reaffirming, reassuring. I don't know. I'm talking to my therapist tomorrow. So really looking forward to diving into this. I haven't spoken to her since I found these. So I just thought I'd share that. I thought that that was really fascinating and interesting and Yeah, more will be revealed. Okay, quick housekeeping as always. We have the workshop with Saskia Lightstar on July 10th, Sunday, July 10th. How to Quiet the Inner Critic, a shut the fuck up workshop. See show notes for links to go get tickets to that. Next, please damn the join Patreon, as I like to say, join the damn Patreon. This is where I host three weekly Zoom support groups, Sundays at 3.30 Eastern, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, and Thursdays at 8.15 p.m. Eastern, patreon.com slash child. It's also where you say, hey, thanks, Andrea, for all that you do. I really appreciate you. It also helps me feed my cat, guys, Okay. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Adult Pod, And of course, give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. If you don't, you are preventing suffering adult children from finding this podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, everyone. Well, today we are joined by, so typically I announce everyone as a shit show. I don't know if you're a shit show yet, but we'll figure out as we chat longer. I feel pretty confident that you probably are a recovering shit show, um, but we'll find out. So we're with Blair O'Hara and he is a, a psychotherapist joining us from Australia. So we're we're in two different days right now. Welcome. Yeah,
1: true. Thanks, Andrea. <laughs> yeah. Great to be on the podcast and great to meet you and yeah, look forward to chatting with you more
0: so did you have a a bottom like when did you realize that you were suffering from trauma
1: yeah so the thing that really broke me apart emotionally mentally in all the ways physically psychosomatically was getting divorced right so and really it was the separation um that, I know this sounds like an everyday thing, but for me, and I'll explain where I got to with it all was, it was just shattering. It was really, really hard to take. And, um, and so that began my journey to understand emotions.
0: How long ago was that?
1: Seven years ago.
0: Okay. And did you want to stay married?
1: Yeah. I wanted to stay married. Two children and the family unit to me was like, like sacred, right? And just that kind of breaking up of that um, family unit just was so hard for me to deal with. Um, and now I work in family systems and family trauma and uh, all that stuff. So, so for me, that was that was definitely. I've had you know my 20s and 30s was consecutive um, you know, I was, a, I was probably a lost child mm-hmm. in terms of my purpose what I was meant to be doing um, making mistake after mistake after mistake uh, to try and trying to do the right thing but always kind of finding a way for it to go wrong
0: Was there an element of self-sabotage?
1: Um Not consciously, but um, I feel like I know this, you know, I'm a bit, you know, a science kind of based person, but I do think that I had a purpose that I was meant to be living, which is what I'm doing now, that I had to get beaten down by life, circumstances, universe, God, however you want to put it, to get me onto this path. Like I had to suffer and, and just go through several incarnations in the same lifetime. We'll talk about other lifetimes, inherited stuff, I'm sure, but I, I just had to get everything taken away from me that I thought was important before I actually had a chance to put myself back together. It was really like a Humpty Dumpty moment, but that that separation when that happened, that was my Humpty Dumpty moment, where it just—I don't know if you know what that means.
0: Yeah, I know. It, I know who Humpty Dumpty is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. um, I thought there might be like an Australian-American lost in translation thing, but no. So, but that was that was where it all fell apart. to kind of start again, really.
0: And so, what did that look like?
1: So those years it was like everything started to fall apart so my car was falling apart my job my career path was falling apart the marriage fell apart um my health fell apart my physical fitness fell apart so it was just like um you know some business kind of things that I'd started just fell apart and it was like everything conspired against me over like a two-year period it was just like everything that could go wrong would go wrong um you know money like just investment everything that could have gone wrong basically did for a period about three months i was i was i would say walk it was like a walking coma i called it because i couldn't function i i get to work i was still working and i couldn't concentrate i was just i could not concentrate i had to talk to people i had to distract myself um like, I, I just found it so hard to function, like, but I had to hang in there because, you know, I still I still had time with the kids. I still had to do that. I still had a job like I couldn't afford to lose my job at that point. Um, so I really just had to kind of hang in there. And luckily, I I I built up a bit of, you know, credit at work. So I had, you know, I, I, I could kind of. Fudge around a little bit, but it was only because I couldn't think. Like my brain just went into like a shutdown state, um, and I was just overwhelmed and lost. And yeah, so I was just really stuck. Like like it was just it was just a nightmare. It was really a nightmare. But um, only because like I'd never. I was a very shut down person.
0: Yeah. Emotionally. Yeah. Mm. So what were you taught about emotions growing up?
1: I wasn't zero. Yeah. Zero modeling of emotions, zero, um, you know, not, not, I, I think my parents did the best job they could and they were for all and purpose. Okay. And good. Um, but you know, emotions weren't just, it just wasn't on the table.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know?
0: Were you taught that you weren't, was it just kind of ignored or were you given messages that certain emotions weren't okay?
1: Um, They were just suppressed,
0: mm-hmm.
1: just suppressed and ignored and dismissed. Mm-hmm.
0: So when you're going through this, you know, barely functioning, what is your, what is your understanding of what's going on with you? Do you think I'm just having a hard time that you're going to pull yourself out of this? I mean, did you think that this is life as you know it? Like were you suicidal?
1: I don't know if I was suicidal, but I was, I was, you know, to, to an actionable state, but I, you know, it was, there was a lot of despair, a lot of despair and wondering, you know, when this was going to end because there were two things that were going wrong kind of physically. One was this horrible brain fog. Like I could not, it was like so, my head was like so heavy. Um, and then I had this, I developed this pain in my stomach that was like a headache, but it was right in my stomach. Mm. So it was like I woke up and it hurt and it until I went to sleep that night, it would hurt. So it was like all day pain. And then this chronic brain fog. So I was just trying to work out how do I stop this from hurting? Like how can I stop this from hurting?
0: The physical pain.
1: The physical pain. And it was, you know, entirely linked to emotions, like psychosomatic emotion, you know, connection. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't understand any of that. I just all I knew is was I can't think straight. And I've got this pain in my stomach all the time.
0: So then when was the aha?
1: The aha came a lot later. So from there, it was just kind of trying to um, survive. Survive, yeah. Just kind of get through the day, try not for anything else to go wrong, right, just to kind of hold the pieces that were okay together. And, you know, I I, I can hide emotions really well, Mm -hmm. like. I, 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 I can, I can put on a brave face really well. So, and I don't like, haven't liked sharing too much. So my mission was to, I I need to figure this out as much on my own as I can.
0: Yeah. And not let anybody know that you're suffering
1: as much as possible. Yeah. So I just tried anything and everything.
0: Doctors. I'm assuming, were you seeking medical attention for the stomach issues?
1: You know what? I, I kind of avoided GPs because I, I'd actually, you know, for the most part, I've been relatively healthy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, you know, but I, I just didn't think I was going to get the right answer there. So I was trying like things like I would, I would, I would go for a coffee and then I'd see a shop and I'd walk in and be like, okay, so, oh, what's kinesiology? You know, let's try that, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, so I'd try that. And then, um, you know, after separation, I, I did get on kind of the dating apps way, you know, way too quickly. And then I quickly realized I, I did make one great friend out of it, Actually, she was still a friend now and really helpful, but, um,
0: you got any good, juicy, awful date stories do you share?
1: Oh, well, just, just the one, like we talked about before, like, you know, the one person when I got there, I actually didn't recognize the person
2: <laughs> I
1: completely walked passed her and I was like is that this and then so you know it was a waste of time and you know she was lovely Yeah, you know, like otherwise a nice person but didn't uh and I was like this is this is actually a recipe for disaster if I keep doing this so I, you know besides meeting their friend that became a really good friend that was kind of show.
2: Was <laughs> a
1: shit show um but um but what what happened Couple of years, so so this the, this pain in my stomach just never went away. So this is now years later since the separation. So it's like a year and a half's gone by, and I'm still trying to deal with it. So you know, you you know, even drinking or like having a beer or wine or like it didn't really affect it. So that wasn't helping either, right? Even if it, you know had a lot, you know, a big night, mm-hmm. it was still there. I'd go to bed, and it wasn't like that helped. So that wasn't really. You know, it, you know you still enjoy the night whatever but wasn't wasn't um, helping um, and then you know long story short I did I did get back on the dating app and the the woman I actually saw for a few months was did she she started doing yoga and long story short we broke up and and when after we broke up I had time on my hands I was like you know what I'm gonna try some yoga and this wasn't my thing I, I still, can't touch my toes like it's not my jam really flexibility (laughs) and uh, anyway so I tried it and what was good about it was you know it did offer some physical release but it actually connected me into like you know I got to meet people that way actually Um, Mm -hmm. and then I'd start talking to other people and then out of the yoga came you know, contact who was doing like Reiki and stuff like that, and I, I didn't know what Reiki was, and also led me into like a men's group that kind of helped me kind of sit around and you know chew the fat with other guys who were having hard times and things, and and so then it started some some momentum started to build in the right direction because now I was connecting with people that were either trying to help others or like um,
0: seeking help for themselves. Act- On a journey of self-improvement.
1: 100%. Yeah, exactly. So and then, you know, we started doing ice baths and meditation and breath work and, you know, more of so all those practices actually started to come together. Um, And my Reiki person is a dear friend of mine, and that was actually really helpful. So the stuff in the stomach really started to shift
0: Hmm. when –
1: I had this right, and I didn't know what, have you had Reiki done?
0: No, I have not.
1: So Reiki is a like traditionally, like a really either hands-off. So I've learned since then, but it's hands-off or just really gentle pressure. So what would happen is you put an eye pillow on, you're lying down. um, I'm sure people have done it who are listening and, and my practitioner's hands-off for the most part. So you kind of like, Sitting you're on the you're on like a treatment table for an hour, you got it's comfortable and there's music and it smells nice and everything, but you're like, is anything actually happening? Because it's not like
0: there's no talking.
1: No, no talking, right? So um, you could, but but generally not. And so it's not like physio or chiro where like they're 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 playing with your body, and you're doing this, and but then I so half an hour goes by, I, I walk out and I'm feeling like I'm floating on clouds like what is just happening because nothing really happened but it feels good so now I'm onto the I'm moving out of like the pain and into what starts to feel good you know this is close to two years since the separation right so it's been a long long time
0: was there any like pre-work as far as before you did that initial session I mean obviously this is somebody that I guess you knew but I mean did they know did they, was there any backstory? Like, did they know that you were having stomach issues or anything?
1: No, no.
0: Is that typically how Reiki's done or is there typically some sort of like assessment done beforehand?
1: Oh, we, we talked like we had a, like you, there's a talking part and then there's a, like a, like okay. a practical part. Um, so we talked, but the thing with Reiki is, um, so I've learned Reiki as well is like you, you get attunement in the hands so when, you, when you're hovering your hands over someone's body, you get uh, uh, there's, there's there's feeling, like you get feeling in the hands. And um, based on where the feeling turns up, you can tell what's going on for them. So I had a lot of tension in the belly, like huge amounts of trapped tension in there. And so what the Reiki offers is basically just a, an outlet for release. So you're providing a channel for the trapped energy and emotion to flow out because emotions are meant to move. Right.
0: I'm sure it's different for, for everyone, but for you, like now that you are a Reiki practitioner, um, what does it feel like for you specifically when you are sensing like trapped energy? Does it vary? Um, Is it always the same feeling? Is it like a heat tingling numbness? What is it?
1: Yeah. All of the above. Right. So the most acute, I I haven't done a lot of Reiki um, practice. I'm I'm more, you know, psychotherapy. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: the most acute was um, I was doing it on a a woman and I went over her knee, right, and it was like you're getting kind of like heat and then uh, someone like pinching the skin of your hand. Like it was Mm -hmm. really tangible, Mm -hmm. right? It was hot and it was tight. And then I'm like, what's up with your knee? And she had a surgery like, a couple of that So it's it's not you have to ask the person what's happening, but it's like there is a radiance from the body about what's going on for the body. So you can feel numb. You can feel tight. Um, you can feel hot. You can feel cold. It's just it's really interesting, actually. But you, it's, you have to kind of just play with it. And, and um, if you did Reiki all the time, then you would be more able to kind of tell what's going on for people. Yeah. But I just did it for my own benefit and some practice. But um, but it is, I, I do find it re- like out of all the modalities that I tried because I tried lots and lots, um, yeah. that was and continues to be, you know, when I get it done from time to time, just really releasing. It just helps the emotions move um, when they have a tendency like me as a chronic suppressor to to get them moving, right?
0: So then, what do you think with this lady with the knee? She had just had like some sort of an operation, but like, was there more of a backstory there, or did anything else come out of that? Was there there's emotional element to it?
1: Yes, a great question. So, so I work, you know, psychosomatically with people in psychotherapy as well, right? So, so what happens with trapped emotions is they they it is like an energy. And it depends what the emotion wants to do. Does it need to express itself, right? Which means it's going to be more uh, hot, more strong, um, more tight. Like for me, I had a knot, right? I had a knot, which meant it didn't actually want to move. Right? It didn't want to move. And that's why it stayed there for so long. Um, but then some, some things like numbness, they want to stay buried. So grief, if, you, if you're suffering from grief or loss, then you're most likely to feel numb. Like you'll feel sad, but under the sadness, there's a numbness. So when you're you're asking someone to feel into their body, um, mm-hmm. then they feel numb. They actually don't feel much of anything.
2: Mm.
1: Right. So it just depends. Yeah, it just depends. And the body can feel, can we can go on a bit of a tangent here? Because I think.
0: That's what I like to do.
1: <laughs> right. So, so when I do the family systems work with people, yep. I look at, you know, parent dynamics.
0: You were trained by, were you trained by Mark Wolin?
1: Yeah, Mark Wallen. Yeah, yeah, I've had him on. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, Mark's amazing. And um, yeah, he's really inspired a lot of um, family constellations based practitioners. Like I know a few um, ones in think, New York and Paris and Mexico and here and so on. So um, yeah. Yeah. Great um, mentor as well as a um, yes. super
0: solid guy. I love him. Yeah. is he working on another book? I think he is. Yeah, he
1: is. Yeah, yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what's interesting about that is, you know, because we look at parents, we look at grandparents, we look at great grandparents, mm-hmm. sometimes beyond that, but not usually.
2: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: part of that method is to actually have the person stand in for. And when I say stand in, it's like if you had to map out your family tree mm-hmm. right? and his dad on, and then the, the grandfather and grandma and great grandma. So what we do is get people to stand in the place of a person. So mm-hmm. let's just say you go and stand in for your, your grandfather. Right. Mm-hmm. The body will feel different things based on who you're standing in for. Right. So. I'll give you an example of a, a guy I worked with a couple of years ago. So I said, you know, go stand in for grandpa. And his body felt really hot, like immediately hot. And he wasn't hot before. Right. And then he felt like some feelings in the legs, which weren't, weren't all that stable. Right. So now you're looking at, you know, the, like, you know, there's a lot of things to connect it to, but, um, but it, I won't give you the whole story. But then I said, okay, stand in grandma literally about two minutes later, and his body immediately went cold, right? So he's gone from feeling normal to hot to cold. And basically the body is holding, like, is able to hold all these kind of physical sensations, emotions, and when you kind of draw upon them through, you know, family connections, then they start to come out. So what that means is if we're trying to explore what's going on for someone, um emotionally, mentally, well, we have to explore well, where could this have come from in the beginning? Like, mm-hmm. where did it originate from? Because often, and that's the title of Mark's book, it didn't start with you, right? Yeah. So so if we can work out um, where it began, then we can help release it for an individual person living now, right? Because almost all of us are carrying something from the past, some legacy burden,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, that's come yeah. out of war, famines, you know,
0: Poverty, yeah, all cool stuff. Crazy.
1: You know, bad. You know, you know the shit show of humanity, right? Bad
0: first dates, you know.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, or good ones. You know, there's a lot of grief that comes out of having um, lost a lost love.
0: Yeah, loved and lost. Yeah,
1: a lot of stuff. And um, uh-huh. you know, in those war times when you know you'd have this young relationship Mm -hmm. you know guy goes to fight dies you know it's very hard to recover from that you know and people move on and they they remarry and stuff but there's always this grief the grief kind of just lingers for long a
0: a gaping hole yeah Mm. so i don't know if you're on the in the process of doing this but so did you what were you able to find out about that particular guy with the being hot with his grandma and cold or hot with grandfather and cold with grandma? Did you?
1: What was was interesting with him was he was adopted at birth. Uh And so what we were doing was reconciling like his birth dynamics. Like, Uh so he never got to meet his father, sorry, his mom. He, He did make contact with his dad, but he didn't know anything about his, grandparents and so what we're doing is trying to get a sense of what he's carrying on what's what he's holding on to that's come through from from the side of the family like his biological family that he didn't know so what happens when you release it is actually you just you just feel better within yourself Mm
2: -hmm. you
1: actually get to have a sense of who you are as an individual separated from you know you know, what the beliefs were of your family, the, you know, the patterns of your family. You just get to be yourself a little bit more than you have before. You know yourself better. You just, you just can move on with things. You, you develop more resilience because you, when you're holding on to things from the past, they're taxing, they're energetically tiring. So when you release those, you, it's, like, it's almost like you get that energy back and you can do with it what you want. The thing that I notice when I've worked with people for, for a long time is uh, vitality, right? So they got on the first call and they're crying and their face is kind of grey and like it's the, you can see the sorrow, whatever's going on. And then, you know, a few months later, you can see the energy in their face, like the vitality in their eyes. Like you can, it's really because everything I do is on Zoom. Mm. For the most part. But even on Zoom, you can see the vitality returning to, to their body. It's really, really nice.
0: So this guy was adopted. Let's say somebody has no idea who even their grant, like their blood grandparents were like, what if they don't even have a name? Could you still do that work? Would you still do that work?
1: Oh yeah. All the time, all the time. So, so let me connect my, my story and where, where, why my, why that, separation hurt me so much so in my own research and i didn't know this before but i had a great grandfather um, fight in world war one so he was an irish guy he moved to london he had four kids one of which was my grandfather and then when war broke out in 1914 he was 37 right and he was one of the first guys to go over to europe and fight in the first world war Mm-hmm. okay 80 something days into the war he gets captured he didn't die like the I, I've done the history it's like brutal it's a miracle he, he actually lived but he got captured and was sent to Germany to be a prisoner of war for three and almost four years. so the rest of the war 1918 he he gets out
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay so what I what, what my parallels were was I got separated at 38. He mm. got separated from his family at 37.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, when you're a prisoner of war, like, what are the emotions that you feel? You feel helpless. You're away from your family.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: there's nothing you can do. Um, you're defeated. Like, you're scared, right? You don't yeah. know what the future's going to hold, right? So, all of that, and like, emotion that he was experienced, I feel like carried through to me. So when my marriage ended and I got separate, I felt helpless. I felt like a failure. I felt like I didn't know where the future was going to come, what was happening next. I was broken up from my family. Different circumstances. You know, I'm not running through a battlefield, but the emotions were still the same, Mm, uh right? So when I realised that, I was like, holy shit, like I feel like I'm holding on to his trauma, Um, And it's just played out in my lifetime in the way that and this is why I feel like all of those events that transpired for two years, just like all the bad things that happened, had to bring me to that point where I had to, I was now responsible for healing his wounds, as well as my grandfather, what my grandfather couldn't deal with it. My dad definitely couldn't deal with it. And then it was my turn. Right. And it's either going to break me or it's going to like turn me around.
0: I guess what my question was, well, so then you were able to, well, I want, I want to hear how, how you ended up figuring this part out. Um, you were able to do some research and find this information out, but like, what I'm saying is like, can it still be done for somebody that they don't have any of the information?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we do this through the feelings, like the physical sensation. Mm -hmm. right and mark would say like i learned this from mark actually that it sometimes helps not to have a story because it can be more authentic for you because at the end of the day what Mm -hmm. an individual is trying to take on is healing their stuff yep right so you feel certain things like i feel grief or i feel anxiety or i feel anger or rage or whatever it might be and i've got to deal with those emotions so what we do in in therapy is we map out the family tree psychosomatically, right? So what we do is we start with the individual. So we map out your feelings. So where, let's just say um, I'm feeling numb in the heart, right? And I feel I've got this knot in my stomach, right? So they're the two, thi- chari- like the two key indicators of what's affecting me. So then when we do the work, it's like we have to prepare. But once we start to do it, it's like, okay, let's go stand in for dad.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What do you feel when you're standing in for dad? Oh, I feel I get a headache and not much else. Okay, so that's, that we've mapped that out. Okay, let's go stand in for mum. You know, oh, I feel funny in my feet and I get a little bit of this numbness in the heart. You're like, okay, let's go do grandma. Let's stand in for grandma, right? And then it's like, oh, I've got this numb into my heart and I've got a knot in my stomach. So I was like, okay, hang on. So what you're saying is, when you're standing for grandma, you're feeling the same things that that you're feeling in your body, in your own life, like the way you feel it. Yeah. So now we've got a bit of a match, right? So you don't have to know grandma to get this kind of overlap of physical sensations, right? And then it's so about it's-
0: just feeling into those emotions. It's just, it's just feeling it, sitting with it.
1: Yeah, um, you know, we work with some with some um, healing language
2: mm-hmm. and we
1: try and bring peace to that person's experience. Mm-hmm. So then if we feel like, you know, the trauma or the, the inherited pieces come through from grandma, then we, we look at who's around grandma. So we do the same work as if we are working on behalf of grandma and bring peace into her body. So then it brings peace into ours.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. I know it sounds a little bit out there.
0: No, not at all.
1: Really kind of, you just trust the way the body gives you the feedback.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one of that one story of Mark's about the girl who was cutting herself mm. and then her grandma had died of that car accident. That was crazy. Uh,
1: yeah. So people say things. So just on that. So Mark, like, you, you know, he, his method's brilliant about the core language. Yeah. So in that story, he's like, when he's in the session with the young girl, he he said, right before you cut, what do you say? What do you, what are you hearing in your head? And she said something like, um, you know,
0: I think it was something about like, not deserving. I don't deserve to live or something like that.
1: And it's like, hang on, those words don't apply to her lifetime. Cause you, you know, yep. your parents are fine and, but here she is and she's saying these words. So I've had, he- I've had people say things to me that, you know, you're saying, well, what's the problem? And they say things that don't apply to their life story. So, so then you're actually saying words that came through from somebody else that have just, and they come through different languages. So if you've got a grandparent that's, let's, say, let's just say French, and you don't speak French, right, her words, whatever they may be in French, can turn up in English in your own voice, right? So I've got some, yeah, some really interesting. So as soon as you ask certain questions and they give you that kind of feedback, like some people say, you know, I'm going to be ripped in two, right? Or, and you're like, hang on, what do you mean you're going to be ripped in too? You know, and then you discover that, you know, there's been some birth trauma or they've had, you know, um, something where a part of them has felt like it's been removed, but they, you know, it's, it's doesn't relate to their lifetime. You know, it's got to do with something else. So that language element, you know, um, gives you a lot of clues to past trauma as well.
0: So then tell me about how you went from Reiki to discovering this shit out.
1: (laughs) Good question. So so here's another weird thing that happened to me in this process was I was doing some journaling. It was kind of like guided meditation journaling. And it was about feeling things in the body. And I wrote down, so this is before I did the research, but I'd written down um, my pain is related to three generations ago. It's related to war. It's related to alcoholic parents. And it's related to not being able to speak the truth. And I'd written this down as a, mm. like on, with pencil and it had nothing. It meant nothing to me right, and then six months later, so these are the words that are coming, that are there but don't make sense. So then six months later, I jump on Ancestry and, like, looking and my dad didn't know this stuff, like, it's his grandfather, my great-grandfather, and I found all these military records with this guy's life and prisoner of war. And mm-hmm. The ironic thing, this this kind of is a bit trippy, but I'll say it. So my ex-wife was German and he'd got trapped in a, German prisoner of war camp, so I still think there's a connection there that it's me meeting her and blowing up is something to do with his experience too, but that's for another day. But, um, but basically when I'd worked out that this link came, like my, I reckon my pain was ancestral, then I started researching about ancestry and that's how I found kind of the Family Constellations work and,
0: um, it's crazy that that, you know, channeled through you.
1: channeled, yeah, 100% channeled. And, and, um, and so I'd, I'd carried on with the yoga. I became a meditation teacher, did Reiki practitioner, um, and started counseling back then as well. But the thing that then brought it all together was doing Mark's training, um, three, four years ago. And when i sat in there and I was doing that training and I'd read his book but only half of it and I told him that it was just like light bulb like every 15 minutes just going and that just put all and and basically there was a 3 day 4 day kind of training and I was vibrating I was sitting there literally shaking I'd walk out on a break and my body was releasing it was just on non-stop release that whole time and from there it just my whole world kind of came together so like my modality that I work with um, professionally answered my personal questions, helped me bring a lot of peace, you know, help help me kind of put it all together. And then I've kind of, you know, built on this as well, like with other stuff. Um, But yeah, the
0: training that you did was that for um was that for people to be trained you know as a, as a practitioner of this work or wor- or was it like a workshop that you were doing it for yourself?
1: Um, it was practitioner, but you do it for yourself as well. You you can't not live it. Um, and I've since done Peter Levine's Somatic Experiencing training, which is you know taking those feeling states and working through and unlocking that trapped trauma um, with those methods as well. So it's really, really effective way of releasing, um, from the body. Cause you know, there's a, the, that other great book called, you know, body keeps the score, which is about what we hold on to. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just fascinating. I could talk to it.
0: Was there anything else other than what you discovered about your grandfather, anything else in your own journey of doing this stuff with the family tree that was profound or Interesting.
1: Well, it's just trying to um understand what the body's trying to tell us, right? So that knot Uh I had in the stomach, what I kind of worked out was that it's trying to tell me something. Like it's screaming at me for two years. Just listen to me. It's almost like the knots, like listen to me. You've you've gone through 35 years, 38 years of your life without listening. And now I'm going to. The only way you're going to pay attention is if I make it painful.
2: Mm, but like mm-hmm.
1: so. So now instead of suppressing it, ignoring it, dismissing it, you've got to pay attention to it, right? And that's mm. been the thing that's basically helped me navigate future stuff that comes up and challenges is like, okay, I can't ignore it anymore. If I ignore my emotions, what's going to happen? It's going to hurt it's going to go, hang on, you are forgetting me, you're not paying attention, but I'm, I'm just going to give you these pain so you can stop what you're doing Mm -hmm. and come and talk to me. Basically. That's what I think a lot of pain, you know,
0: I think it all is, there's always a spiritual purpose behind it. And, you know, that's what my message of this podcast is, is not just to heal, to heal our unresolved shit, but to actually like view it as a blessing you know because it allows us to it forces us to do that work you know and there's a lot of people out there that never get into enough pain to do anything about it and i just so feel so grateful mm. that i am someone that has experienced a fuckload of pain you know because i have had to do the work yeah
1: yeah i couldn't agree more and um you know yeah it's it's courageous stuff and you know I, I meet a lot of people, you know, in that pain, they're in that pain place. And when you've got that pain, you know, like you and I are just described, like, that's all you can think about. That's all you, your life becomes the pain. And you forget mm-hmm. you've got good things going on as well. And, like, you, for people to, to deal with pain for years and years and years, you don't realise it, but you have to be strong, right, for you to just still turn up and, and, and live you have to be strong right you have to have courage right you have to have a level of resilience right and those three things are awesome qualities but we just have to kind of get this pain off our back just get this bird just release these burdens so we can actually use that these qualities for things we want to be doing not just putting fires out and dealing with the crap it's like, you know, and, and when you explain this to people, like, you know what, I actually do have a lot of strength. Maybe I do have a lot of courage. And that can kind of give them a little bit of a boost and help them see that there's a way out of this. There is a way out of this. And guess what? It's like, you know, Dorothy with the Wizard of Oz, like some of these things you've had all along, you just haven't realised it. And these are the things that are going to help you you know, get out of this jam and actually make your life, you know, give it a real crack.
0: Through doing this work, um, did you also gain a new perspective on your childhood? I mean, you mentioned that there was no emotions, but was there anything else that you, you thought was normal, but was not really so normal?
1: Yeah. So my, my, my father had pretty massive mental health issues and, um, Good question. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of perspectives, but specific to childhood, I think it was, you know, I was never present either. Like I was always worried about the next thing. So when I read, you know, The Power of Now, like Eckhart Toll, when I was like 38, I was like, holy shit, what is this idea of presence? <laughs> like, I'd never thought about it in my whole life. Gone, the present moment? what the hell is that? And that was that was like massive, like I've never been, I'd always been past or future, never present, ever. My mind never was present. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think I was prepared, like, I don't, I don't think this is necessarily my parents' fault because I don't think they could have, uh, if I'd have asked them, they, they wouldn't necessarily have been able to tell me. But I don't think I was prepared for life, like adult life, like stuff. I just kind of went through the motions, did all the things, you know, find the girlfriend, marry, have the kids, have the house. Like I was just in the cookie-cutter framework of what life should be like. No emotional process. My school was very rigid. Emotions had no place in my school whatsoever. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was just like this absence of context about what is really going on in life like it's an emotional experience more than anything else a felt sense and an emotional experience and that was never expressed and never explained never you know just never put on the on the agenda so when you walk into things like things that are distressing like I didn't have any coping strategies at all like I would drink Mm -hmm. and I would run away from it that would I'm a Avoidant and suppressing. So, never face it because I didn't have the tools, like no ability, got no clue.
0: So, through doing this work as well, um, for me, like on the surface, I thought I had pretty high self esteem. You know, I thought I liked myself, but my actions clearly showed otherwise. And I had no clue that deep down I believed that I was, you know, unlovable or inherently flawed. And so what were some of the kind of limiting beliefs that you've, you discovered and have worked through? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Similar. Yeah. I had to achieve to be worthy of anything. I had to do good things um, to be recognized and to be, you know, um, given attention. I had to like succeed in whatever it was, you know, I always felt like I had to give more than what I deserved, like in return, like I always had to give to get, um, rather than just being open to receiving good things and and other people's gratitude. It took me a long time to be able to receive a compliment without feeling super <laughs> awkward. Um, that was one that, you know, I'd almost like reject compliments out of hand.
0: Mm-hmm. Just,
1: you know, it was almost like an insult when someone gave you something nice to say, even though I was... Still on the on the, the flip side, striving for recognition. But then when the recognition came, I wasn't able to hold it. So, yeah. And also, I had to be. I say to be something bigger than myself, just to be recognized and just to be to to be loved. Probably, I couldn't just be myself in whatever way that meant may have been to 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 receive good things. I had to do something good to get good things back. I couldn't just be be myself, right? I had to be something.
0: What were you doing for work before you were doing this stuff? Yeah, doing-
1: so I had a career in like the sports industry, actually. So I was a wow. kind of commercial money making kind of a guy. And, what were you um, doing? Well, I, I used to manage like sponsorships, like player management, um you know, business development kind of. Like a sports world. agent, like. An- I was in this. I worked for in a sports agency for a while, and then kind of community-based sports organisations. But
0: so, what was it for rugby or soccer or what kind of professional? Oh no,
1: our Australian football.
0: Okay,
1: Australian football, which is its own version, Um, and I I loved that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of well, I loved it to a point, and then it became completely meaningless work. It was a a job and an industry people love to be in I got you know free tickets to the footy I'd get wine and dine I'd get like free stuff all the time and you know had the best seats in the stadiums kind of stuff and you know for a while it was just like the best because it was like a dream come true and then after a few years like after you know all of this work started coming through me it just became so boring and meaningless and it was like oh god this is just painfully
2: Mm Mhm.
1: Stupid. And I get uh, get it. (laughs) Yeah. So I just lost all motivation for it. And um, but you know, um, the the funny thing about that was I was transitioning into this what I was doing now, and in my job I'd like broken sales records and Mm -hmm. highest of this, highest of that, Mm -hmm. praised. But in the end, I was like managed out. Like I was, I got played. I was like political, like I've got political, and this was just another sign that I had to just shove off, get out of that. Whether or not I was ready for it at the time, I was probably a year away, but I just, you know, accepted it and just took it as an opportunity. Like, okay, uh, if you're not going to jump, we're going to push you. And so, the same
0: but, exact thing happened for me. Like uh, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I am. Um, I wish I could be one of those people that works hard no matter what, you know. <laughs> but like right. I'm not. And so if I'm not into something, like I, I, it's I'm I'm a horrible employee. But yeah, so it was. <clears throat> Once I launched this, I already wasn't like super into my job, but even more so. And I, a horrible employee, and I didn't feel great about that. I just wasn't in a position. The podcast was, um, you know, lucrative enough for me to have this be my job, and so I was waiting for that. And then I got fired. And my boss, like, we had a meeting. He's like, "This isn't working." And I was like, "Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is not working, and it's not fair to them. Me being such a shitty employee, and it's also not fair to myself." So it was was that pushed off the ledge.
1: I think I think this happens a lot for people. Actually, I think this is happening all the time is we're trying like whatever force it is, it's just nudging you into the place that you want to be. But because we're conditioned by culture, school, whatever expectations we resist, but I, I think the universe, whatever it is, is working for us way more than against us. percent. Um, and in my weird, wonderful brain, like I, I kind of get intuitive thoughts that turn up and when I was really like fearful kind of years ago, I kept getting this thing, like, you'll be supported, like you'll be supported, you'll be supported. And as I transitioned from that career to this one, like weird things happen, which meant like, instead of like, you know, because you're trying to build a practice and and learn new things and make a living. And it was really sk- actually terrifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and I would just, the messages kept coming through, just, you'll be supported, you'll be supported, you'll be supported. And that's exactly what's happened. Um, and now I'm kind of sustainable and, you know, going fine. And, and, uh, you know, I could have easily taken a job, gone back into that old industry, got paid well. And, but I was like, it, thinking of going back actually made me physically sick. So I'm like, <laughs> my body's telling me I'm going to vomit if I choose a, decent job or well, what's going on i have to kind of i either have to trust it now or not but when i trusted the previous thing it just like it broke my life apart so i'm just gonna put faith in whatever's going on keep stepping one step at a time and it's true It just it keeps getting better and better but it's not It was scary, like it's been scary. It is. And maybe foolish, but it's like, you know, it's one lifetime. Let's just wear it. Let's wear the fear and push on and see what happens. Funny, that the the physical feedback that I think is the best sign for moving forward with something is like overall a, a sense of peace and calm, but with a little tinge of excitement. Like, you don't want too much excitement because then you might be in your dopamine and going for your high. But I think if you've got, like, this calm sense, the body feels peaceful, and then you've got this little tinge of excitement that just wants to Mm -hmm. go, Mm -hmm. those three things are the sign for me that I'm stepping in the right direction, right? Well,
0: um, you need to quote that shit. Have you made a video on that?
1: I haven't actually, No, I'm still just kind of cranking up my social media and everything. So, but uh, I might take your inspiration and do a little real about that one.
0: Yeah. Better do it quick or I'll, <laughs> before I make it. it. it? No, um, I'm
1: happy I, to, uh, uh, you know, I, I want people to, um, you know, heal and, you know, cause every, every, all this stuff's really helpful. Um, we need healers and we need people to, have the clues to, to help themselves. And, um, you know, if uh, someone hears it and applies it and feels better then everyone around them feels better and everyone around them feels better and a little bit better. And, you know, I do kind of subscribe to the butterfly feeling like it, you may not feel like having much an impact, but every little bit does help, right? And it radiates around the world I don't know if you felt it like when COVID hit, like it was like there was this global anxiety, like you could feel the tension just in the community, right? It was just like this sense of, oh, this is just shit, right? Um, But when good things happen, like it's the opposite. So, you know, spreading the healing messages is far and wide.
0: Well, everyone that listens to my podcast and they should be really grateful for COVID. It it allowed I was working from home, you know what I mean. Like it, it allowed me to be able to do this shit and have my my boss not realize I you know don't work all day and actually <laughs> created a <Right>. podcast. <laughs> Perfect, yeah.
2: Um,
0: so a, a couple of questions. So one, I was um I was what I saw one of your videos and you were talking about um how before you attempt to work on the relationship with a parent or. Um, partner work on the relationship you have with the feeling you have inside about the parent or the partner.
1: Yeah. 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 So, so if you think of a person um, who you have an emotional dynamic with, right, there's a, there's, it has like, you'll feel different things for different people. So if you think of an ex-partner, the body will take it on different. If you think of mom or dad or brother or sister or, or whoever and it's like your body feels different things for different people like the felt sense is different so before you you know want to work on a relationship dynamic whether it's you know family or romantic whatever you've got to be able to reconcile well what does that feeling mean to me all right so let's just say you know looking at an ex-partner and there's some resentment or some bitterness or something like that and and maybe it's justified right they've done something wrong and it uh, goes against your values and um, and so um, before so what, what has to happen first is a reconciliation of those feelings. So we have to we have to come back to peace. We want to come back to not holding on to stuff that doesn't serve us, right So we've got that bitterness, let's just say. we hold the bitterness. Sometimes the other person don't, doesn't care less. Like they've got their own stuff, and we can't be them. We can't solve it for them, right? So, in that dynamic, there's this thing, and it's creating this feeling within us. And if it's not good, we need to clear that first. And then, so let's just say you want to have a reconnection with a partner, or a parent, or whoever. Um, you can. You, you want to turn up with with clearness, like clear emotional state within yourself, and then you can be present with them because whatever's come um the history has created this this feeling in the body i don't like it it feels yuck all right so i have to clear this no one's going to clear this for me that's what i'm trying to get at Mm -hmm. okay and then um whether or not you have a reconnection or you you never see the person again it doesn't matter like you want to bring your body back into health that's the most important thing to you or me you know for ourselves and so But what we are often trying to do in contrast is go, I need this person to do something for me so this feels better, right? And that person doesn't know how to do it and really can't do it or doesn't want to do it. And then we're stuck, right? So we can't get them to fix us. We've just got to clear it. And it's just emotional energy. It's not words. It's not what they said. It's not the way they behaved. It's just energy that's within us that needs to be processed yeah, our shit yeah we need to just you know our shit and it needs to just be flushed out
0: that that banana video
1: <laughs> like that oh yeah the banana video yeah that was my first reel I was terrified to do reel, did you come so up
0: just, with that one on your own
1: uh yeah because there's a fruit bowl just over there and I was like what am I going to do I'll just grab that banana and and <laughs> it goes as a video there's some there right now you can another one
0: I love it. You are, uh, yeah, inspired by fruit. I huh? haven't
1: done any more. I haven't done any more banana videos, but maybe uh, I will.
0: Yeah, maybe we well, could coffee. try some different f- food products. You know, spice oh, it right. up.
1: We've got some avocados <laughs> over there, and some oranges, and mm-hmm. some pistachio nuts.
0: Yeah, every day you have to find us something to and tie it into okay. your work. The
1: next reel, I'm going to make. Um,
0: uh-huh.
1: We'll have some food in it, and okay, and it'll be could be. You'll have inspired it.
0: Wonderful. <laughs> um, what about I had someone ask in my group right before this. So has there been any new um uh, research that or findings that have come out as of recently related to intergenerational, like specifically from like a DNA perspective? Because I know that there's you know a ton of studies with the mice or the rats <laughs> or whatever. Um, I know about the, the Holocaust study, obviously. Have there been um, have there been other studies that have been more so human? Like, has there been any recent human studies that have come out?
1: Um, Well, it's hard to do humans because the generation spans so long, like why they use mice is they can replicate generations very quickly. And then you can, you know, review it within a year or two. And it's meaningful. But with us, you know, we're waiting 20 years for a generation, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 40 for two, three, you know. But, you know, there's another study um, called the Dutch um, Winter. uh, It was like um, it was to do with World War II. It was a Dutch like winter famine. So basically in Second World War, like the Netherlands was cut off from food supplies really, really badly. And so obviously people that were there, you know, were um, malnourished. And then but they didn't stop them having kind of babies and stuff like that. So. And so what they've been able to do since then is actually map like the physical um, needs of, of those offspring, right? So um, so some are predisposed to not need that much food. So when they eat, they actually gain too much weight because their bodies in mm. you know, their epigenetic change mm-hmm. was that, okay, we can survive on very little food so that when they actually went back to an abundant natural like, like it is now, They actually gained weight too easy, like more easily than an average person. Um, And but then their children, I think, were the opposite. So basically, they locked out.
0: They got to be the thin one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it 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 can change. But um, what's also you know becoming more and more apparent is how important meditation is to help influence Mm. your. the way that your brain processes emotions, mm-hmm. and also how you can influence what markers are predisposed to kind of go off in your in your in your DNA, uh, and help kind of regulate those. So, if so, for me when I the, when that separation occurred, those markers that came out were all these intense things in the stomach, helplessness. Um, mm-hmm. So, if I'd have meditated for you know five or six years before that. You never do because you don't get to until you're hurting. Um, I probably would have been. I would have been more prepared. Like it was probably like, "Yeah, you want to leave? Great. Have a nice day. See you later." And I would have been more um, had the capacity to deal with whatever came up. But as I said, you don't do it till
0: till you have to. Yes.
1: Till after.
0: Um, Are there any specific meditation? techniques that you find particularly beneficial for all this stuff compared to others
1: that's a good one so the best one is just the original one which is just following your breath and it's the simplest one but also the harder it's so hard to do Mm -hmm. so it's just like you know just pay attention to your breath as it goes in pay attention to your breath as it goes out and just wait for the thoughts to turn up and distract you because that's what will happen. And then it's the ability to notice that your mind's gone wandering and then you come back to following your breath, right? So what's good about this is it helps regulate your nervous system because you're breathing calmly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then also it starts to really dismantle uh, an overactive ego because the ego wants to throw you off. And every time you bring yourself back just to that simple practice of observation, you're, like, having a win over your ego. And then the more that you can become aware of when thoughts just start running wild, well, then you're in a better capacity to actually, like, change it. So the better we can become aware of what's going on for us all the time, the better you can navigate. It's like having hands on the wheel of your car all the time as opposed to just kind of, like sticking your head out the window while you're driving and, and, and wait for the next thing to go wrong. So, so just that simple, um, following of your breath is easy to do, but hard to master kind of thing. But just in the effort that you spend to try to do that, it creates like benefits on lots of levels. Mm-hmm.
0: So talk about what type of work you do with people.
1: Yeah. So, so, um, yeah, my, my method's quite tried and tested at this point. And basically just what I've shared, um, I, I want people to, one of the mistakes I think we, we, we try too hard and is trying to take on our biggest traumas too quickly
2: mm.
1: because that's where the pain is, but we're not ready to deal with it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I help people like to start with is building preparing people to heal before we actually try to heal. Mm. So that is developing like some of the questions that you've just asked about, Mm. you know, practices and things. Um, We need a few tools in the toolkit, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, We need to know how to kind of bring ourselves back into calm states and regulated states without digging into trauma because we can't do that before we start. Like once we start talking about this or that, you're going to get overwhelmed and then we're not actually making any progress.
0: Yeah. That's well, that's the like prep step in EMDR too, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah, For sure. And then I, um, so all the way through, I'm working somatically. So I'm constantly talking about the feeling states because people, we, we need to become familiar with that. And it does take time for people to, understand these messages that you know took me years to understand right you as well and um and so but then I want to go in and understand the psychology so I work with like the IFS like internal family systems Mm -hmm. arts kind of approach Mm -hmm. so I, I we start there because that's the basis of the limiting beliefs that's the basis of the lens we see the world through there's the dominant aspects of our personality that trying to help us but they're not anymore so we need to it's like taking apart a car like we need to see all the parts of the car before we work out what's actually not working and then we put them all together again and then then we'll do the the um, family constellations method and we'll go through that really thoroughly Um, and you know applying the somatic release work as we go and then you know people inevitably get like Good outcomes, like they start to feel better, they start to, um, yeah, they, they become much more resilient and can handle things. Um, but we need to make any breakthrough that they've had familiar, right? Because a lot of therapy, I did this too by mistake, like had a win in therapy and then quit therapy because I'm like, I've worked it out, I'm done. And then I had it a, like a, like a, uh, went backwards a little bit because. I didn't bet it down. Like all the feelings that we want to have, we need to make it. Kind of said it before. Like we need to make them familiar. We need to make it's like imagine this. Like imagine you got two pairs of shoes. Your old comfortable slippers, right, and new new shoes.
0: You got to break them in.
1: You got to break them in. But it's really hard to give up that old pair. But that old pair is your the one that you walked around in your trauma with. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We need to move on from that. Mm -hmm. So we we step into the new ones and they're like, "Mm, I don't know if they're as comfortable and don't like this so much, but the old ones are really tempting. But, you know, if you go back in them, you really don't want them anymore, but they're comfortable, they're familiar, right? And this is the last part, really important part. And you need time and support just to kind of hang in there until those new shoes that familiar new sense of yourself is like vanilla and normal right we don't want it to be like a dopamine high and look at me i'm like healed person and i'll go fix the world right we actually want it to become normal and now we've embodied it now you don't have to think yourself out of trouble your body's like doing it for you you you've hit you're healing on autopilot and that's really profound that's when you kind of really created a new a new version of yourself and you live life, you, you're starting to write a new chapter for your own experience. Like I'm driving this show now. I'm not just getting dicked around by trauma patterns. Um, and when stuff does go wrong, you've got the, you, you can deal with it. You got, tools. You got tools. You're more resourced. You understand yourself and you just move on. Like what might have taken eight years to heal now takes three or four days. You're back. You're good. Okay. We're moving through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So,
0: Well, I expect to see a video now that includes a sneaker and a slipper. Okay. We had banana.
1: No, you're, you're my social media manager. Yeah. Look at all
0: these great ideas I have for you.
1: No, that's a great idea. That's a great idea.
0: I'll let you know if I think of anything else. Um, Well, I will include, all of your info in the show notes and people are gonna people are gonna eat this shit up so Great. thanks so much for your time
1: yeah so if, if uh any like just um the heal with blair on instagram is where, you know um uh, you know basically all my content is on there if instagram was to disappear tomorrow i'd be in all sorts but yeah heal with blair I'm yeah head
0: just, on over there guys we got some prop work going on so
1: yeah yeah it's not your average video You're going to see some more videos and reels with fruit and shoes in them.
0: Well, that wraps up today's episode. Uh, As always, you are so very welcome. I thought that that was really, really, really fucking good, guys. Let me know what you think. I could have talked to him for a lot longer, so we'll have to have him back on the pod and, and go check his shit out. See show notes for all links to his stuff and his his prop work and his banana videos. And hopefully we're gonna be getting some some other um, prop work going on, some old slippers and new sneakers. <laughs> ay yeah yeah I need help. Also, if you haven't seen my, um I, I'm really proud of this video, social media video that I did this week about oversharing on a first date. If you haven't seen that, you should go watch it because I think it's pretty damn funny and pretty damn accurate, but I I totally can't relate. (laughs) Um, Next week, we have a great interview with the author of The Anxious Hearts Guide, Ricky Close. So this book is for for anxious attachers, and I connected with her through Mr. Fixer Picker, Adam Moroskis please go damn the join Patreon. Please go follow me on the old IG and the old TikTok and give me that damn five-star rating. And if you want to reach out to me, I love hearing from you guys. You can send me a DM or you can email me at andrea at adultchildpodcast.com. And I will see you shit shows next week for another fucking amazing episode of Adult Child. It's going to be super raw, super madamella. I'm super excited for y'all to hear. It's going to be a goodie, I promise.
2: a letter.